when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. What's good, Internet? Welcome to the first episode in our Waypoint 101 of Red Dead Redemption. Today, we are covering the first act of the game, beginning with John Marston's arrival in the state of New Austin and ending with his second arrival, this time to Mexico. As a reminder, the next episode will cover the remainder of the game, or at least as much as you or anyone on this podcast wants to play of it, uh, as well as Undead Nightmare, which I'm excited about because I've not played that at all. Uh, that was the horror-themed alternate universe DLC that a lot of people loved back when it came out in 2010. Uh, I'm curious about it, especially given our, our current spooktacular October environs. In any case, I am Austin Walker, and joining me today, Danielle Riendo. Yeehaw! Thank you for being a cowgirl. Uh, Rob Zachney. Well, hello. Ooh, suave cowboy Rob Zachney. Uh, also joining us, Patrick Klepek. I didn't have a bit ready. I didn't know we were doing this. All right. And <laughs> I'm a drunk Irish guy. Whoa. Yep. Welcome, welcome to Red oh, Dead Redemption. Boy. That's, yeah, uh-huh. That's my character. Content Don't warning for this out. game's racism. Yep. Uh, and Natalie Watson. Everybody asks, yee-haw, but nobody asks, ha-yee. Yeah, sure, ha-yee. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Ha-yee. So (laughs) I think a lot of people were surprised when we chose Red Dead as our next game because we've been doing our best to stay off the beaten path. Or maybe what I should say more clearly is like we've been very close to our own heart. We've done games like Metro 2033 and Shadowrun and uh, the Zombie U, very off-kilter games that maybe didn't get a huge audience when they were released and were very much in our own wheelhouses. And Red Dead is a AAA game by one of the largest, uh, most successful studios in the industry, um, ahead of one of their biggest releases. And I, I definitely get the... I definitely get the like, huh? Like the double take of that. But I, but I also think there's something interesting here, which is one, we've been talking a lot about open worlds lately. Uh, obviously, if you listen to Monday's episode of Waypoint Radio, we kind of dug into what the future of the open world might be. Um, two, Red Dead is often brought up as the sort of best of generation, in the best of generation context for the last generation, and we're heading towards the end of this one. So I thought it was worth revisiting how our assumptions and our, our evaluations of the last generation's games uh, are holding up. Um, three, because we've had lots of great conversations lately about labor. Um, over in her review of Assassin's Creed Odyssey, Heather Alexandra asks the question about scale and scope in a game like that and wonders if, you know, if built in the conditions that games are built today, could something like this even be made in a way that's that's uh, non-exploitative? And, and is there a way in which even the the dreams of these games, given our current you know cultural and social climate um, and, and our economic context, the way that they are built, 
what are we trading uh, when we want something like this? Uh, and, and last, like, there is a moment that we're in in which we are revising and revisiting the certain popular genre fiction and certain um, tropes that we thought were unavoidable. I think in the, in the wake of something like Shadow of the Tomb Raider, which produced a great uh, deal of con- uh, conversation here, both on Waypoint Radio and in a great uh, conversation between our reviewer, uh, D'Alessina, and uh, Rob Zachney. Like, hey, what are the things we've decided to make games about? And I think the Western is is due for that conversation also, at least to some degree. So let's dive right in. I'm curious for, for most of y'all, um, I mean, let me just set up the game maybe a little bit for people who've never seen anything, which is fair, and maybe just still want to hear us talk about it. The basic setup is you're a guy named John Marston. You're a cowboy, a former outlaw. You've been employed by the fake F- FBI, I think it's like the Federal Investigations Bureau instead of the Federal Bureau of Inves- Investigation or something, to locate Sick. and bring in this guy named uh, Bill Williamson, who is a former member of your gang. Um, uh, you show up to New Austin by train, uh, and you try to apprehend Bill at this fort and proceed to get shot in the stomach. Um, you are rescued and nursed back to health by a local rancher named Bonnie McFarlane, uh, and she kind of gives you the, teaches you the ropes uh, about how to ride a horse and how to shoot a gun, even though you presumably already know those things since you were John Marston, former outlaw. And they don't even, uh, no, no, no feigned amnesia, it's just, which part, let's just teach these again, cowboy. Yeah, exactly. Well, the whole idea is that he's just started to own a farm. Sure, that's, yeah. yeah. That's so part true. She, yes. she's kind of like, if you want to learn how to lasso the right way, this is how you lasso. Right. He's never lassoed before. You want to break a horse. This is how you break break a horse. horse. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. You hold left and right on an analog stick in a really goofy fashion. (laughs) That's how. Yeah. (laughs) Um, It's so goofy. Uh, Then you work with uh, the local marshal. Um, I think think he's a marshal. I don't think his name is Marshall. His name, he is a marshal, right? Marshall Marshall. Just like Bill Williamson. Right. Bill Bill. Yeah, Bill Bill, Marshall Billy Marshall. Billy Bill, Marshall Marshall, uh, along with a cast Marshall, of- Marshall Marshall. <laughs> <laughs> uh, along with a cast of characters who I think in 2010 when this game would have come out, you could probably catch a dozen or two dozen reviewers calling a colorful cast of characters, by which they mean caricatures. Um, and you're convincing them to help you break into this fort and apprehend your suspect. At the end of the section we played, you learn that Bill Williamson has escaped to Mexico to reunite with another member of your old gang, and you rush to uh, to, to rush after them uh, and, and hit what I think is maybe the single standout real moment of the section that we've played. So, given all of that, given where we're at, what is your history with Red Dead Redemption? Like, who who here has played this game before? Danielle, I'm curious because I, I think this is like from the era where you were in game reviewing and probably doing a lot of, of games writing at this point. I was, but I actually missed this one. Oh, okay. I, I was doing a lot of reviewing in, in this sort of uh, general era, but I did not play this game. I actually have not played a ton of Rockstar games, not to completion anyway. Uh, L.A. Noir was the sort of like sterling example outside of that. Uh, but and that's a game I, you like I have a, lot, right? a, I sure have a history. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. And that's a game that you really like, Ellie Noir. Oh yeah, I actually love awesome. it, even though I think it has major issues. Um, but yeah, I I have a long history with westerns that I won't go super far into, other than to say I grew up kind of watching them with my dad on Sunday afternoons, uh, and always found them a little hard to relate to. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> at first, Weird. you know, as a little kid, just I, it was like time with my dad, so I liked that. I liked hanging right. out with my dad, uh, but I was always kind of like 
nobody talks for like hours in these movies. <laughs> yeah, I'm talking as like an eight-year-old. And then totally. later on in life, gained a, a massive appreciation for the genre and sort of what it means. And, uh, you know, again, a problematic genre, especially in terms of race, especially in terms of the sort of spaghetti westerns of the 60s and early 70s. But uh, does have sort of a very rich and interesting cinematic history. So later on, I would a... come to very much appreciate the Western as a form and as a genre. Do you have a fave Western? Honestly, I, it's it's That's pretty modern, question, but I but... love the True Grit. Uh, the, oh, yeah. From like 2014, I want to say. Somewhere that around there. Very the Coen Brothers True Grit. That's yes, yeah, the Coen Brothers yeah, True yeah. Grit. I haven't, seen I, that is... I haven't seen that since it was in theaters. I really, I oh, really like it. Carter Burwell's score for that is also just tremendous. Mm-hmm. We just had a we've had kind of a run of really great modern westerns, right? Yeah. Like between that and like the assassination um, of Jesse James, Bone by Robert Tomahawk. But I haven't seen Bone Tomahawk yet. I really want to see that. Yeah, it's yeah, it's good. Um, I yeah. really love the proposition, which this game kind of takes its core conceit from, of like the outlaw goes to hunt down other outlaws on behalf of the federal government. Um, so yeah, there's there has been a there the been Ed a number. Harris one from like. Five years ago, there was a really good Ed Harris hmm. Western, and I forget I the name of it. I believe I'll look you. it up. <laughs> please, please. Yeah. Uh, Rob, how about you? Have you played? I, I know the answer to this. I know this because you were like, I don't like Red Dead Redemption uh, <laughs> when we picked this game. So tell me, tell me what your initial feelings were. Did you play it when it came out? I did. And it was one of the first games where I really began to feel the praise for this game was so universal. Yeah. Um, and so heightened that when I started playing it and just was hitting eye roll one eye rolling thing after another, I really started like second guess my own impressions. And Mexico is where I bailed out. Like when when this game came out, I got through Fort Mercer yeah. and I was like, I'm done. Like this is I still like I still don't know why I'm doing any of this. I still don't give a shit. Uh, and the entire thing, the, the entire first act of the game is leading up to a turret sequence. Like, that's yep. what we're doing here. It's like two uh, in a row, in a sense, almost. Yeah. And so I kind of I kind of bailed out there, and I spent the intervening years kind of wondering, like, I probably gave up on that too early, right? Like, that game was probably, I must have been in a bad mood, because, like, everyone loves that game. And, like, best of the generation, I must have just not given it a fair shake. And it's worse than I remember. Um, it's, and like, I don't want this to be a thing where like, Hey, if you like Red Dead Redemption, here's Rob Zachney here to tell you you're a fucking idiot. What I see when I, but like, I think there's a lot in this game that is very like classically rock star. And I mm-hmm. think there's almost like a, we adopt the rock star lens when we look at these games and like sort of let stuff roll off of us that we actually shouldn't. I don't mm-hmm. think like the like this is a game from the first that is trying to like engage with some really like weighty ideas and issues with old west mythology mm-hmm. but it doesn't actually understand like I think repeatedly it reveals it doesn't actually understand the references it's making well enough to like subvert them intelligently uh and also it is too addicted to the cheap laugh and the stereotype and the caricature to make any of what makes a great Western work uh, take flight here. And so that's, that's kind of where I've come down with, with Red Dead. And it's a shame because like Westerns, even though like it took me a long time to realize this, but like, I think Westerns are actually my favorite genre. Um, 
it's weird because like when I think of like my favorite movies, it's almost never a Western I'm thinking of. But when I look at like movies I've bought and like collected right, and like right. watch again and again, it's like Rio Bravo, Three Ten to Yuma, um, you know, True Grit, movies yeah. like that. Totally, Patrick. How about you? I this is a it was weird to go back to this game. Yeah. Um, Patrick of 2010, different Patrick, different like <laughs> things he wanted from games. Like I grew up on, like I grew up as Rockstar was becoming Rockstar, right? Like when Grand Theft Auto 3 came out, specifically Vice City came out at a time that like gripped my entire like high school. Like it was right. the yeah, game same. everybody played. Putting on the cheat codes, seeing how long you could, la- like it was an active game where we would just all get around uh pass controller around where it says you see how long you can last causing as much destruction and then we actually re- measured there was a high score in those yeah, games totally. <laughs> and we that was something specific... we were actively doing in our friends group was like trying to get a higher score like yep. how long can you go around with five stars can you get the tanks to show up and like still survive go find the bazooka <laughs> we um, had specific like corners on in gt3 where we would specifically set up to cause the most havoc and see how long you could last like there was a specific place in like the midtown area near the construction site um, and you could kind of like corner like yes. the AI to come yes. in through a corridor, there, and so then exactly. it then became like a shooting gallery. Well, um, and so there like, was a situation there where it was like the yakuza and the whatever the the, the Colombian cartel was, and the cops all intersected just so. And like I I think a lot about that time that you and I were probably in high school at the same time, having those experiences as like almost like the game is a toy box where you're like, oh, mm-hmm. how do these systems work? I'm going to learn how to understand game system by way of just fucking around and with, that with is... no understanding of the language or like like the idea of like interacting with a game system was like not on my mind it's just that's <laughs> no. what we're doing because the no. game enabled that like i mean it was an early game that i don't think people understood that they were manipulating systems because it was one of those the, the first blushes with the open world and like ai and like it was just the first time that a lot of people got to play with things like that and it just gripped my entire like not just my friend circle it was just like everybody even like you know, people that don't play games, you were playing or watching people play Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, just um, to that point. Oh, Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. All right. I was just going to say, before we called them open world games, we called them sandbox games. Right. For exactly yeah. that reason. It was totally. like before we thought of it, like open world equals systems equals all these kinds of things uh, that we now understand. But at the po- at that point, it was like, this is a sandbox well, game. It's like playing in a sandbox. It had so cheat like, codes. Even the language. It did yeah. have cheat codes. Well, and the thing that's interesting is I think we've seen – the sand leave the box, right? Like, we do have sandbox games still. Those do still exist. But the open world genre is not simply a subset of sandbox games. The open world genre understood that there was something appealing about the setting of sandbox games, but also that there were ways to make things less uh, chaotic and less, um, less devoted to that feeling of, like, just goofing around uh, and more interested in linear progression and kind of uh, uh, corridors, like design corridors. Um, and I'm not, I, I don't say that only in a judgy way. And I do think some sandbox elements persist in open world games, but like I'm playing Assassin's Creed Odyssey right now. That's not a sandbox game. There's nothing about that that's sandboxy. Like, there are no, there, there really aren't those aspects of systems colliding and me goofing around and playing with 
with the limits of the simulation or trying to find edge cases uh, or just like, oh, I'm just going to do this thing for the next 20 minutes because it's fun in and of itself in that same sandbox way. So I think that that's, that's an, interesting, an interesting thing to line to draw on and maybe work through. Because I think Red Dead Redemption is maybe on that line. Like I think it might be the, one of those moments of like the paring down of the sandbox, but also the in some of the ways that it wants to lean into it, 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 it um, kind of creates new, more permanent forms that would echo out into other games in the future. Natalie, I know you've been playing this game on PS Now. <laughs> is this the first time you've played this game? <laughs> it is indeed the first time I've played this game and uh, will be the last game I play on PS Now. Damn! <laughs> Take that, PS Now. Can you, can you actually, can you, like, briefly as an aside, like, I've never used this service. I know people don't particularly care for it. Like, what has been that experience playing this game on PS Now? It's been really rough. Um, they uh, rolled out the um, download ability. So now you can download games like PS4 games that are available on the PS Now. I learned yesterday that due to the technical limitations of the <laughs> PS3 that Austin and Kato so kindly informed me because I was like, why not just backwards compatibility? And they were like, well, actually, there are reasons. And I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. Um, so... Obviously, Red Dead is not is a PS3 game era game, and so it, you can't download it because the uh, PS4 can't actually emulate the the PS3 game. So right. you have to stream it, which means you, if you are not at like if you are not active on your controller for a certain amount of time, it will give you one minute and boot you off. And because Red Dead Redemption, you can only save when you're going to sleep and there's like no auto save. There's an auto save on the Xbox 360 one, but it's like really infrequent and like. Yeah, there is an auto save, but it's super. It's like right before a mission. Right. Um, Right. And often, you know, missions have so many parts that the auto save sometimes is at a part that you are far past. Sure. Um, So I have lost progress so many (laughs) times in this playthrough of just, um, you know, I like get up to like go to the kitchen, make a snack and I come back and it's like, you've been locked off the game. You were taking up too much bandwidth. And I was like, (laughs) have you considered just like posting up with Doritos and Mountain Dew (laughs) to fuel your gaming? Let Dorito... (laughs) Um, you know, I've, I've slowly been going back <laughs> because I just need to have like the snack, the snack counter around me now. I can't, cannot, I cannot ever leave the game. So, um, but yeah, this has been a really, uh, interesting experience. This is for, like a lot of you guys have said, this is a lot of people I know's favorite games and mostly people that are not like in journalism or like interested in games criticism but people right just you know regular gamers um <laughs> those, this normies. Is gamers. those normies, norms yeah. uh-huh. normie gamers um yeah so they always cite this game as being like one of the greatest games of all time and ps3 was not a console i had growing up so i did not play anything on ps3 i would say um I was on Xbox 360 during that time, so I was out here playing Viva Pinata for Ooh. years. Ooh. Um, a great nice. game, <laughs> but yeah. we won't talk about that here. Um, 
So it's been weird to go back to and Rockstar games are the the last Rockstar game I played was Vice City because it was what my brothers had on their PS2. Um that was PS2, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and so and I don't even remember what the story was like. I just remember doing the thing of how long could I run around right. while being while being wanted. Um so playing this game has been really interesting because it has been so abrasive to my tastes. <laughs> <laughs> um mostly like the way even just like the mecha- like go- the mechanics of the game, the like game controller feel and like the rhythm of how you're moving through the game um felt really weird at first but now i've gotten really into it and it feels pretty good now but it was yeah, very no was, i think it's t- bad <laughs> i, can't I mean i wouldn't say it feels good i would just say that i have like a you've, you've adjusted you would, yeah i've adjusted to yeah. Rockstar used to someone someone tweeted me today to be like yo does rock i was like I was like thanks for your good uh, uh podcast about red dead but i only need to know one thing does it still feel shitty like red dead one and i was like well it still feels like a rockstar game it still has that weight that feeling of like slow turning um sort of like the witcher 3 like very momentum driven very interested in, in like letting long animations play out instead of letting you just cancel out of an animation and move on to the next thing you want to do like <laughs> natalie, that is, pained. natalie is shaking her head <laughs> how many times have i fallen off of a goddamn cliff with my horse because just like navigating that thing is just a because i was just going nightmare. too fast and then yeah. it just blows you up a cliff and Why is it? you're not supposed to be there it's like no. magnetized Toward trees and cacti. Oh, like <laughs> you're just like, all right, just gotta get through this open field. Totally. And the horse is like, I'm just gonna impale myself on that thing and then like rub on it for a couple minutes, and then you're gonna like throw me into reverse. And I'm a horse, and I do that. I make yeah. like basically it's like a beep beep, and then, like, and then you can go it's, back to your horsing. It's extremely funny to do that in a in like a, a carriage or a, anything that has like two horses. And like, all yeah. right, come on back, nice and slow. <laughs> Bring it Austin on back. Austin was watching me do that yesterday in the office. Yeah, it was I mean, really there was a pain. moment yesterday. Also, while I was watching you play, where you fell down the side of a cliff, as as we just talked about. Uh, okay, and it's there was. <laughs> well, and well, that's mean, Rob. Um, <laughs> he got hops though. Some yeah, it's true. He's got uh, zero hops. But there's this you. like there's this long animation of John Marston like grabbing at his hat and like clutching himself as he tries to get back up to his feet. And I think that was one of those moments that called into clarity for me or brought into clarity for me part of why this game was so impressive to people like me who had pretty much become mostly console gamers in, in the age of the Xbox 360, um, who had moved away from more abstract games, which is to say things that were like, you know, civilization or strategy layer games, uh, tactical games, uh, puzzle games. Like I was basically playing just AAA games during the era of the Xbox 360 and console games, like not playing PC games, not playing, uh, you know, again, anything like a strategy game that was not being brought onto the Xbox 360 or the PS3 at the time. And so, or, 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 you know, uh, uh, the DS, right. Or the PSP or whatever. (laughs) Um, and so that had started to create a certain sort of, um, a certain sort of aesthetic desire for me as a player and a certain set of, of 
priorities in terms of what meant the game was good. And so the idea of John Marston clutching at his hat and having a unique animation as he fell down this cliff and not just doing what every other third person action protagonist has ever done before that, which was just go like, whoa, and then they just like fall straight off the map, <laughs> felt at the time to be meaningful. And it felt like it was giving a sense of weight to the game and to and to the character and a sense of seriousness, even though the writing is is, you know, stereotype. Even though, as as Rob just said, if you're not being, if you're not the perfect player, you're going to constantly crash your horse into rocks that will s- slow it to an incredible complete stop instantly, as if as if you throw it on the e brake or something. <laughs> um, uh, though I guess Danielle, you had this, you sent me a great note the other a couple of weeks was last night, right, about the early horse mechanics and learning how the horse mechanics work. You want to talk yeah. about that a little bit? Yeah, of course. Uh, so I'm teaching game design again. Uh, I always teach like film classes and uh, I just got an opportunity again to teach a game design class that I've taught like seven or eight times at this point. Uh, but of course, because we're playing this game, I'm going to talk about it a whole bunch in class. And something that struck me. Uh, okay, so super, super briefly to make this extremely uh, simplified. One of the sort of framing devices I use in my class is mechanics, dynamics, aesthetics. I'm sure, Natalie, uh, you've, you've done plenty with this. But just in the in the, the top-level sense, mechanics are the interactions you have with the game and the way the game sort of gives you feedback and interacts back, and it's sort of the conversation you have with the game. Aesthetics, of course, are the you know visual and audio elements of the game. And dynamics are sort of the, the beautiful music in between of how the game you know sort of gives you your experience. It's it's the interplay between the mechanics and the aesthetics. There's a great moment at the very beginning of this game uh, that I think supports the theme of the game really, really well, and also sort of showed off this, like, it's MDA, which is funny to me, but, you know, the sort of, like, mechanics, dynamics, aesthetics framing. Uh, it's the very beginning of the game. You're first getting on the horse, and the game is teaching you how to ride the horse. And, of course, we've just gone through this whole intro that shows, you know, very, very basically at, at a top level that John Marston is sort of a uh, you know, part of the old guard. The world is changing. The old West is becoming tamed. It's becoming industrialized. It's becoming, uh, you know, it, in a lot of ways, a new world, right? Uh-huh. So you get on the horse, you start riding the horse, and then immediately you have to stop because the train is crossing. And you almost have to sort of race the train for a second. You know, you're kind of going left and the train is, is also going left and then it speeds off. But you're on this thing that is difficult to control. You're on this right. animal, this sort of like old guard sort of uh, uh, creature. And you have to like race the train for a second. And of course, the train's going to pull off. It's on a specific track. It's going one way. It's like this powerful mechanized thing that also sort of represents the new world and this industrialization. And you have no hope of ever outrunning that train. It's just it's, it's just like this one second at the beginning right. of the game that that both mechanically and aesthetically... Uh, supports that theme of like the old world uh, is dying. The new world is here. The old world is very beautiful in a lot of ways. There's a gorgeous skybox. You're sort of, you know, riding through the wilderness to some degree. Uh, and, it, and it just really, really worked for me. And I guess to sort of bring it all together, I think this is a game uh, where a lot of moments really worked, at least for me. a lot of There are a lot of beautiful moments in this game or moments that, that super, super work on that level, that sort of MDA level. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if it all comes together for me, but like in moments like that, I'm like, I see the appeal. I see why people, you know, love this game, even if they didn't necessarily think in terms of mechanics, dynamics, aesthetics, but like... Yeah, this is really working. This is like one of those moments where it came together nicely. I think moments like that would probably like I I wish 
that moment were the way that game communicates these themes mm. <laughs> rather than having that moment follow on the heels of a long train ride in which cartoonishly clueless, like racist <laughs> caricatures yep. uh, talk about the closing of the West and the arrival of civilization and saving all them uh, heathens out there. And it's just this like, any one of those lines would have been like, okay, it's a little on the nose, but it's like five minutes of just like straight up uh, expressing the core thesis of this game, which is that, surprise, it's Rockstar. Uh, America <laughs> uh-huh. is hypocritical. Uh, yep. Its myth of exceptionalism is built on self-flattering delusion and it comes at the expense of uh indigenous people people of color marginalized people not that the game will ever take much of an interest in those people they're more used as a cudgel to bash the myth of america uh and that's the sequence that pulls you into this game is this this long train ride and you're gonna be getting little like expo like exposition sequences like this throughout the game it's 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 never really going to raise this level of critique beyond this really superficial uh level of irony and then that sequence is bookended after you get your, your very brief like tutorial to the horse, you run into, I think, which one of the other problems with this game, which is that Rockstar, I don't think, ever figured out what the hell John Marston is doing on this mission. Like, literally, his plan is to go up to a fort yep. to holler at a character that, and by the way, this is going to be your introdu- introduction to the character, you are taken to this fort <clears throat> where Bill Williamson is holed up with his gang. And all we're going to learn about Bill Williamson pretty much forever is going to be this exchange hollered over the rampart. Bill, we were friends. Yeah, well, we're not anymore, you son of a bitch. Oh, Bill, don't be like that. And that goes on, and then you get shot. And it's the, it's like... Which is the natural conclusion, because of course you do. Yeah. And that's like... So... The version of this, like, I think what this is going for is, like, Marston is a man pursued by his sins. Uh, That, like, this is a game of circles. Things things coming back around. Bill Williamson is one of those things. But they never actually do figure out, like, what actually is their connection? Who is Bill Williamson? What does he do? He's a gang of outlaws that we never see out in the world. They just, like, they're they're squatters, basically. That's that's the crisis. Oh, but then we do see them. And there are like 3,000 of them. It is the biggest gang that's ever existed. I don't know that I've ever so killed. Quiet. <laughs> it's just a town. You don't it's hear, not even a you gang. hear anything behind that wall. It's just like Bill <laughs> Williamson comes out. Other than that, it's like a fucking library. Well, this is Maybe why. This is why scrolls. This is why John Marston <laughs> thought he could handle it. He walked over the floor. He's like, I don't hear shit. I guess it's probably just Bill and three dudes in there. That's a gang, right? <laughs> <laughs> I got it. <laughs> 
Um, I, I think that's. I think so much of this is interesting in context for me because I think you're right that when we talk about this game, I mean, so we got a great letter in from from a fan, uh, Moosey wrote in to basically say, you know, uh, people talk about this game as if it's the best game of the generation. They even say that it is, but simultaneously, sometimes the same people will say that they don't like large swaths of the game, that it's not especially good. I, I think that Moosey's talking about the Mexico section, especially is the one that gets hammered uh, by even critics who like the game. They go, oh, I love that game, but Mexico just went on and on and on. Um, so can't wait for the next episode where some of us try to play through Mexico. Can't wait. Uh, but the the thing that I think that you hit on, Rob, is that there are the the gist of this game, the the point that this game wants to make in when it came out in 2010 felt like another brick in the wall of games maturing, quote unquote, right? Um, oh, this is a game that opens with all these characters who are actually saying things like, uh, uh, they want to bring civilization to the savage land or that, you know, um, yes, they live like animals, but they're happier now that like white people are in control. Oh, and in 2010 yeah. for the critic, for the game critic who came into games journalism from IRC or from are you call, Game what are you, Facts. What, what, are, or you, from are you specifically are you just taking my background and just like applying that out? I'm talking about me also, Patrick. Because <laughs> I so I'm the person like you, Patrick. I came into this game at the time. I love this game. I up until I replayed oh, I, it. I, yeah, I was like playing this game. I I hated the six hours that I spent with Red Dead Redemption. I did not enjoy yeah. almost any of the time that it was I like, spent revisiting it. Like in fact, like I had to temper myself and go like, you weren't I. Patrick, I understand why you loved this game and thought yeah. it was a game of the generation at the yeah. time. It came, it was, it was a, there are games that when you go back and then you have to remember the moment that it was released and the context yes. it was released and your expectations and the kinds of games you were playing at the time. And it helps inform and explain your reaction to it. Because going back to it, it's like, I'm playing, I mean, like very, very little, very little of the six hours that I played of this. Like even the Mexico moment is not particularly good no, we'll get anymore there. because I almost dropped my horse off the, while the sweet guitar is playing and it kind of breaks the fucking moment because you should probably take the controller away from me if you want that to be actually cinematic a, yeah. instead uh -huh. of this squirrely horse I'm was trying to throw myself off God. the side. Um, but I I I I one arm have to cop to like I was that person saying Same. this is an unbelievable game it is is an achievement it is a landmark and I would take the it is both still a landmark and an achievement. It's more, in retrospect, it shows how blinded I was by certain things, right? And I think what's interesting is that the, the world seems so lifeless and cheap and it's just so, yes. Hollywood setting, like a fake town sort of thing. Like, But it felt alive to me when I played. When I played this game, like I did all the hunting challenges Same. because like I want to go be out in this world. Like yep. This is incredible. And part of that is because games didn't depict worlds like that and they didn't even try to ascribe any sort of sense of realism and like looking back for 2010 like the animation on the characters is still pretty impressive and you start to it's a lot of technical achievements that i think blinded me to the material that it was actually conveying because i actually wasn't paying that close attention to it i bet it was the it, it was all a hollywood town it was all a propped up thing and those things were enough that the technical achievements and the, the situation the games were in at the time blinded me. Uh, and probably I also didn't have the vocabulary to, like, really knock it down, even if I wanted to be smarty critic man. Like, I just hadn't come that far <laughs> to even have the ability to do that. But, yeah, so. Yeah, I would say it's, it's really strange because uh, I've recently gone back and played a lot of old games, games with 
huge technical limitations, but that were like huge achievements at the time, um, like the original system shocks and and mm-hmm. things like that. And so going back and playing Red Dead, the it is, I feel like I am so distracted by how unnerving and frustrating constantly listening to dialogue like Mm. talking about sexual violence towards women and talking about you know like degrading um uh the indigenous peoples of like the area and and all this all this kind of stuff is is so overwhelming it is like such a sensory overload for me like to constantly just be berated by background chatter like this isn't even people who are talking to me these are people talking amongst themselves and it is so like just uh uh um overwhelming that you know when i when i am moving through it doesn't feel like you know seeing people like step aside for me and not just like kind of their their characters just kind of push back but that they actually are like kind of stumbling backwards and things like that like those are those are significant uh technical achievements that your the character models isn't just being pushed like a a a pixel or or right right. five pixels back that they're actually like stepping backwards or whatever um but in in i like westerns like i like cowboys i like i like the idea i like the themes that that westerns typically deal with but um just the setting the background of this game is so and and in that hollywood prop style like going into a house and there being nothing in the house there's no reason for me to go into any of the like like when i see farms and stuff like that there's almost always it's almost always not going to be worth it if anything i'm going to get five bucks out of it five bucks and Uh, six bullets yeah and so (laughs) don't worry if you buy that lucky charm then you get 20 percent more maybe you get six dollars instead of five yeah i mean that's part of the thing that's so weird i think uh, so two things here one is you know that intro sequence with the train at the time like i was saying it felt novel and it felt like no one had crossed that ground in console gaming at least yet right i think if you start looking at at computer rpgs um, it gets a little more complicated because you start looking at things like Planescape Torment and at, at you know, the Fallouts and Fallout 2s and plenty of depth happening in, in that space, even in the JRPG space. You know, there was, there was a lot going on with big ideas, uh, but in the AAA action open world sandbox space, that just hadn't happened yet. But also, I think as critics and as players, we had not developed our critical acumen and our critical tool set yet to recognize that in a sequence like that, one that says, here are the stakes of the game, here are the stakes of the world, this, this you know, once free and open land is now coming under the, the heel of, of the coastal elites and, the, and technology and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All we were able to do, or all I was able to do as a player at the time, was to be like, yeah, wow, this is interesting, like framing like capitalist expansion as being part of, of what drives, you know, the 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 death of, of indigenous cultures in the West. And like, wow, this priest is straight up calling them savages. That's interesting. While not having the the tool set to recognize, like, oh no, John Marston is still the one who's being framed as the victim here. John Marston is the is the symbol of the old good world. It's not a, a you know a, a native. It is not a black cowboy who's being used as a tool of an exploited tool of expansionism and colonialism like it is still like this super white dude we just hadn't had 
the the conversation there if you wanted to have that conversation you'd get shouted down i know this because i was part of groups that tried to have conversations like that about games like far cry 3 right or or about games like um uh, uh resident evil 5 right i think look at like how Engai kroll was responded to when he called out the shitty first or second trailer to resident evil 5 the one in which like black men are dragging white women around in africa and in which all of the fears of the presumed white audience, or at least the presumed non-black audience, uh, are preyed on in ways that today everyone would be like, yo. <laughs> At the time, to even open that conversation was well, He to... became like a pariah. Like, yeah, 100%. He, I think he, 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 that he first talked about, I think I was on a One Up Yours episode. Um, I think he may have written about it later or done an interview, because he used to do those like long conversational... Mm-hmm. Um, interviews, but I, I remember that moment in particular. I wasn't at one up anymore when it happened, but I mean, it, it was not received well because the response, what like at that time, end guy saying, Is Resident Evil 5 racist? And he wasn't even calling it that. That was just sort of yeah. like the, the, the logical extraction of what he was saying. Um, the response was a bunch of gamers being like, I'm not racist. I just want to shoot zombies. And yeah. uh, it, that was, I mean, I think we'll look back you know, you know, mm-hmm. 10 years from now, is that being like a very interesting critical pivot point in terms of how we talked about games? That left a strong impression on me because I remember guy being on one of yours and explaining, like, it wasn't just that his, like, he did everything he could to express why this was problematic, right? Like, he actually, like, bro, yes. he, he got into, there's an entire segment on one of yours where he's like, these images have a history. And he began breaking down the way uh, black people have been portrayed, particularly in cinema, uh, the ways they've been shot and framed uh, to make them seem menacing and other and inhuman. Uh, And then he like basically demonstrated pretty conclusively, like that resident evil four was like trafficking in, in all of these tropes. There are five, I think, right? Because four was, yeah, uh... sorry. Four is the good one. Well, I before uh, four does four does its own stuff, which is interesting, and like yeah, but, but the specific yeah. thing we're talking about yes, here, like this the thing is five. Of, like white yeah. people and, and Africans was yeah. was yeah. Resident Evil. Oh wait, four 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 is Mexico, right? Four is Spain. Spain? It's, a, it's a village in Spain that's been taken over by a religious cult, and similarly has a lot going. Not not I don't. It is not racist in that way. Yeah, it is not pulling on that history of images, but I actually think that it is purposefully working with uh, a sort of like rural versus urban uh, West versus like, you know, various visions of what Europe is supposed to be like. There's stuff happening there, but it's not what happens in RE5. But I I think what tends to be frustrating around games like this is a lot of times they're sort of trading on like they're referencing other works. They like particularly yes. Rockstar games. They're they're echoing <laughs> sit, like cinematic moments. And what started dawn on me, I think with Red Dead, is that with GTA 4, I'd always been able to be like, yeah, cool homage. Like this is, you know, this is obviously <laughs> hearkening back to a lot of like great like 70s uh, you know, mm-hmm. New York cinema, crime cinema. Um and then with with Red Dead, it's where I started to realize Oh no, this verges on plagiarism. They're they're counting on the fact like their audience largely hasn't seen these works, which are almost universally more complicated <laughs> in how they portray their worlds and the issues they're unpacking. Instead, what they just sort of do is they borrow like an overall aesthetic um, and perhaps a scenario, 
but without any of the context that makes like a classic Western hold up in a lot of cases, despite problematic material and portrayals. And instead what you get here is just, uh, wouldn't it be cool if like you were on a ferry crossing a river and you just had a huge fucking gun battle. Like that's, that's kind of how this, right. th- this game, this, this is how this game goes. In fact, the beginning of this game, and we can start talking about specifics at this point, I think, is is moments like that stitched together and then dropped into this open world, right? So it is it is the uh, the rescue of the woman being lynched. It is the uh, gunfight from a carriage that as you're as you're you're hauling someone in the back. Um, it is the breaking into the uh, the or not breaking into, but the the charging through a canyon with the with the sheriff to try to take out the outlaws. But all of those things are untethered from the narrative, uh, you know, the narrative context that made them powerful in their respective original works, um, or that made them even forget about powerful, it just made them work at all. Um, one of the most interesting things, and I brought this up during the Monday show about playing Red Dead 2, Red Dead Redemption 2, uh, the the demo that I played of it, or the, the preview build that I played of it, was that the only time in that game, or the only time in, in, in this game that you get any characterization is in those moments. And those moments basically, and I talked to, to people at Rockstar about this, but those moments basically have nothing to do with the main thrust. Helping Seth the guy who is a uh, the guy who digs up corpses and is is it is implied that he sleeps with them or at yeah. least is inappropriate with them because haha necrophilia is a joke. Um, it's uh, it's, his name rhymes with death. It's a whole. Oh thing. wow, his name does rhyme with death. I hadn't even thought about that. It's, Great, it's a Damn. real subtle rock star. That's right deep. there. Boom. The Got joke. Bill Williamson and fucking yeah. The uh-huh. joke in Rockstar games is they're crazy. Get it? Yeah. Like that's like get half it. their characters yes. is yes. like, oh, what a wacko. And in case yeah. you didn't get that, John Marston will always fucking narrate how you should feel. Yeah. He'll, he will say like, you're someone I don't want to deal with, Seth. Or whatever, I've met right? some sickos in my time, but, but I you, think you, yeah. If you couldn't help me get this Gatling gun inside that fort, I wouldn't talk to you ever. <laughs> okay, okay, so okay. Um, the the all of those moments are the only time you get anything what to do with those characters, and most of the time it has it's their own side story that is supposed to offer some characterization, but mostly falls flat. I think there are exceptions to this. I don't think that Bonnie is as good of a character as I thought she was in 2010, certainly. But I do still think that there is... <laughs> relative, though. Relative to Nigel West Dickens or or Seth or Irish is, oh. like, the only actual human in the first half of this of this game. Danielle, did you just have a hand up or was that a No, a sorry. Sigh? No, Natalie does. I, I yes. just, okay. I'm just, like, emphatically agree. I, I think I, I nodded so hard with your assessment of Bonnie that my chair... uh natalie go ahead um yeah i i think one of the difficult parts of of doing all these of all these like side side quests being they are like the main mission because you have to do them to get forward but they're all so fragmented from each other and they don't really interact with each other like you are the one thing that ties everything All these together, together. Yeah, every time yeah. but they're but the fact that they're not really in conversation with each other makes it feel so like individual from the world itself like you don't really get to see like how these people are operating in the yes. world at large like red dead redemption 2 uh 
not to Red Dead Redemption at large that it it feels like I'm doing specifically side quests to have like some flavor. Like it feels like just like a little world flavor, but mm-hmm. not like, okay, this is how I understand my place here. This is how I understand my role here. This is how I understand, um, you know, what this, what this world is, is like and, and what I'm coming into the context of what I'm coming into. Totally. The, the thing that I, I realized while playing this for a couple of reasons, the thing that I ended up comparing it to was actually not other open world action games in the Rockstar milieu or the, the kind of that. I wasn't thinking about Saints Row. I wasn't even thinking about The Witcher. I was actually thinking a lot about the Mass, like Mass Effect 1 and 2 and 3 and huh. the Dragon Age games here um, for a couple of reasons. One is as, mainly as contrast. Um, uh, actually, I'll say, I'll say where I think they actually compare it nicely, which is I think the big open world space that's not afraid to be quiet, that's, a, that's allowing you to just ride out into the wilderness and like, wow, what a cool skybox reminds me of certain zones in Dragon Age Inquisition. Um, mm-hmm. Janine Hawkins wrote a really great piece for Paste years ago about the, um, it's like the, whatever the, the forgotten wastes or something like that. Oh, uh, in, so good. in, yeah, see, that, see, that's that's how it goes. Where it is just like, oh, this is a desert. Um, Rob, we talked about this with Assassin's Creed Origins the other day on, on the Monday show, where like that's a game that doesn't that isn't afraid to be quiet and just let you be in a place. Um, and I think at the time that was substantially new in in third person action games uh, for for Red Dead. Like that that part of it, I think, compares nicely to what. Bioware learned how to do in terms of creating those kinds of big, big places that felt open. And and the other part of it, and the thing that it maybe it doesn't do, and the thing that I'm I'm hopeful Red Dead Two will do, and nervous that Anthem will fucking not is, and in some sense, in some sense, playing Red Dead made me understand the fears about Anthem more, which is because characters in Red Dead only exist in missions and not in the world, because you're not like bantering with them as you do side stories, you don't get to know who they are. Um, And the game ends up feeling really lonely. Um, And that's on top of the fact that Rockstar is just not interested in making characters you like outside of Bonnie. And then there's a guy I think you meet in Mexico who you're supposed to like uh, named uh, Landon Ricketts, who I'll talk about briefly at the end of this, but even the, um, uh, so the game has both these stranger missions, which are like sub side quests, which mm-hmm. are like very simple. Like maybe you run into someone that needs some medicine, you can give them medicine, and that's it. Um, but even the the side quests, they're supposed to like create a broader understanding of the world. Like one of the first ones, I think the first stranger quest you find is some woman that uh, wants you to go find her son. Like out, so I don't know where he went. He's out by the canyon, and you go out to the canyon, and then you find like a puddle of blood. And a bone, and you're like, ah, must be her him. Son died. Yeah. Mission complete. Like you don't go back and tell her what happened. There is no, hey, I'll a detective. Like I'm gonna figure out like where this coyote is, and I'm gonna go, I don't know, br- kill the coyote and like bring its skin back and like show the the, the you know, I, I got vengeance for your son. Like it's just it. Like the the quest is just over. And then on top of that, there are these. Uh, like I guess randomly generated quests in which someone will be like, "Hey, my horse was stolen." Right. And so the first, uh, <laughs> the first black character I encounter in the game is someone who comes up to me and says, "Hey, my horse was stolen." I'm like, "Okay, I'll go get your damn horse." So I get out my horse and I find the person running away. I, ch- I chase the blue dot and uh, shoot that guy. Uh, I grab that horse, bring it back, and then I uh, the funky controls. I accidentally kind of just bump in. Uh-huh. to the character and he goes ah and he just runs away and it says quest failed 
and then I saw, <laughs> I just I hitched up his horse to the side and just kind of hoped like, hey, maybe you'll come back, dude. And like, I got your horse, and I didn't really is. need the fame in the fame system because ultimately, it's not a system that does anything. There's no reason to be a bad person in this game. It's just a system where you just go up for reasons that are unclear. But it was just really strange because like that should have been a moment where it's like ah. You're choosing to engage with the world and and make a choice on some level, and because of the wonky controls, like I just bumped into this dude. I didn't kill him. He just I just bumped into him, and he got scared and ran away and didn't want his horse anymore. <laughs> totally, um, Natalie. Yeah, I think that actually does speak to how like transient and irrelevant you kind of feel to the world itself, and I think that has to do a lot with like the feeling of like fragmentation and like not really sure how. Um, uh, John Marston fits in here or how you the player really fit in the world because you could do you know the, the side the the randomly generated side quest of like saving saving the the girl from the guy who's like trying to to you know kill her or whatever and it will happen again it's mm-hmm. like nothing has changed like nothing about the world really reacts to the choices you make other than you will get more requests as far as I understand it, like more, more of these events will happen or something. I don't know the way that it was, it was described to me, the way that it was like described in the game was like, you know, if your honor goes up, then people will trust you more to, to do things for them or something like that. Um, I'd completely forgotten that system, by the way. Yeah. Like the, the fame and honor system. I played this game to death. I probably put 80 hours into this game between online oh, and offline. Yeah, like, me too. Did every side thing, took out all of the bounties, did all of the gang hideouts, got, unlocked every outfit, all of which is so weird to see now contrasted to a game that has, like, contemporary games that are in the open world mode have skill trees. They have collectibles that are, like, like on a map, on a, on a menu that says here's what all the collectibles are or whatever. Um, it is, it is a whole different thing in terms of how the player is given one, what you're saying, Natalie, how the world reacts to the player where like you Mm -hmm. would at least get the NPC now who is like, well, thanks for saving me the other day, John, or that, that mission would just stop happening at least. Um, Mm -hmm. but it was also just a reminder that Rockstar games have always had these weird little like extra nubbins, these extra little like systems that get bolted on that sometimes integrate really smoothly into the game um, and other times just just feel like, okay, well, why am I gaining fame and honor? What's this even mean? Is this any? Is this anything? Is this something? No. I, I feel like that <clears throat> partly flows from, there's two approaches to creating like a really convincing, like not even a really convincing overworld, but like here's two paths you can, you can take to like creating an open world game. One is that the world itself has like actors in it. Who have agendas, routines, like behaviors, right. uh, things things they go out in the world and do, and you will find the world sort of interacting with itself and observing itself. Um, the other approach, and this is produ- the one that Rockstar has like sort of chosen consistently, and I don't know if Red Dead Two will break that, but Rockstar's approach has always been: what makes the world feel big is that there's always something for you to do. That mm-hmm. the world is a uh, you know, county a, a vast county fair or a theme park where there's endless little mini games you can go play. There's lots of activities, and you go out into that world. And what gives you the illusion that there's a life to be lived here is not other people, because you know, on a lot of levels, the Rockstar ethos does seem to be like fuck other people. Um, 
But like, so it's not going to be watching farmers tend their fields or like people going through the routine. What it's going to be is going bowling with your cousin. It's going to it's going to be going to play a card game uh, in in Red Dead. It's going to be just you know, horseshoe. Yeah, exactly. Like, that horseshoe lots mechanic's of, lots so of bad. Shit to it's do. so bad. <laughs> I lost a lot of money in horseshoes, y'all. Oh, <laughs> no. But no, I think you're totally right, Rob. I think you're totally right that like it is about filling the player's plate, right? Um, the promises they're making with Red Dead 2 are the opposite. It is you can talk to anybody. It is people go through their routines. It is when you kill someone. Let's say you the, the story I just heard Mike Mahardy say over on the he was on the Giant Bombcast this week because the GameSpot team got to play like a few extra hours of Red Dead. And apparently the way that the system works is let's say you kill someone during a holdup and somebody gets away. They go tell they go tell some cops. They go tell the local sheriff. They run to the local sheriff. And that local sheriff comes out to investigate it. And at the point at which they investigate it, then they send bounty hunters after you or whatever. But there is like a – there are, people have schedules now. People – they're doing the the Elder Scrolls style of characters who have who have their own schedules and whose schedules will, will uh, interact with each other and blah, blah, blah. That is the promise they are making, and it seems like a promise that – when I talked to the folks over at Rockstar about it, there was a degree of – not crow eating, I wouldn't go that far, but like it seems like they arrived at that after some critical self-reflection, or at least that's the way they're framing it. At least that's the way they're framing it to me, uh, a critic who I'm sure they know what my my personal tastes are and what I want to hear. Um, and I'm curious to see if that's a thing they can commit to or if it is still going to be 10 hours in and I'm basically going to still be the person who has to make my own fun, right? Um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I guess one of my questions here is like, were there standout things that still worked for you in this game? Danielle's nodding. Yeah, Natalie, I know you you had something. I don't want to. No, step go ahead. On. Go ahead. Okay, I I did want to mention briefly, you know, sort of going off of what I said earlier, there are moments that work for me pretty well in this game, and a couple of the moments that did actually work for me, even if they were a little on the nose or a lot on the nose, mm-hmm. I did love a lot of the early sort of riding around the ranch with Bonnie bantering. Yeah. That was actually very fun. I, there was one line, I, I super wrote it down, that I just thought was adorable. Uh, it was like, a joker is missing. A, oh, God, where is it? I had it. I super there's had it. De- Here it is. Here it is. Few, there's a deck missing a few jokers, I believe. Yeah. That was like, oh, I love that line. That's a beautiful <laughs> line. Very, very good. And like Bonnie is, you know, maybe not the greatest character in the universe, but she pretty much is in this game uh, by... <laughs> A light year. Well, she's an actual Maybe. character, right? Like yeah. you, you get a sense of her world, the relationship she has with her brothers, like her, her father, dad. and like yeah. the the grief they've had over like the sons they've they've lost. You know, like that she there's only her and her older brother who went to go be like a New York banker, a banker. and she doesn't even resent him. She was just like, oh fuck him, like I can go do this myself. Like what Bonnie, uh, I, th- I think in her mind it was somewhat built up because. If you try to think back to who were the characters in this game, <laughs> like John Marston is is he he gets some characterization by the, the so much is weighted on the epilogue yeah. that we'll get to in the second part. But I think in our mind's eye we go back and think, oh, John Marston, what a character because of that epilogue because that fills in so many of the gaps that we don't really get otherwise. And also the characterization you get with Marston largely only happens. In relationship with Bonnie, she actually pulls things out of him 
in those yeah it's why i did all the bonnie stuff straight up front i was like i'll get to the other shit later i guess which is a mistake um, because then you just get a ream of terrible shit <laughs> right yeah you just goes on to the shooting galleries it goes on and that's even like excusing you know the evolution of gameplay mechanics even within rockstar yeah. games like there's just it, less interesting things to do on every front like mechanically the barn is more interesting like conversationally the the, the barn is more interesting. there's just i would have rather it spent 10 hours at that barn than do any of the shit that i did anywhere else like i don't and even like the whole stuff about like oh like you know there's a built-in system that is saying like, oh, you can be good or bad and you'll be rewarded or punished in different ways and the world will react. Well, then why do I keep going with, you know, this this uh, this uh, spinster who's selling these tonics and I, I don't have any agency in like being his little lab rat. And like, it's just none of it makes like any consistency with this character, like John, John Marston, who's supposed to be this badass who like, you know, can talk shit to people and can push back. And yet he finds himself rope-a-doped by this dude, you know, selling snake oil to a bunch of people who are being taken advantage of. Right. Yeah. It doesn't matter if your honor is all the way up, you will still take that mission and do that mission. No matter how many bounties you've turned in, no matter how many people you've stabbed, no matter how many women you've stabbed from being or stopped from being stabbed on that same fucking saloon front. Natalie, yeah. did you have something? <laughs> Natalie, did you just have uh, anger. something to add there? Okay. Anger. Just anger. Just anger. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. And in, in terms of, uh things i liked i don't know i i am struggling to i think i'm really interested in mexico so i think maybe after after the mexico sequence i don't know that i will hopefully have some things to to i i will say i like the music oh yeah that's fair i really like the music is really good and it sets it's kind of hard because I I've, I'm going back and forth between am I playing like the cinematic game like am I playing oh. the game the the game the movie, the game, or am I playing as you know John Marston the character in the in the Dragon Age Mass Effect sense like am I playing the Inquisitor the character or whatever, and I have some agency in that right. or am I, like I I think it's 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 um emphasized by like the the sort of cinematic cutscenes of of when you just don't have agency in those moments like when you um skin animals or when you you know are like uh uh when it just like cuts to kind of a, a cinematic and you you can't really skip through it um that really lends itself to making it feel like the game the movie mm-hmm. which feels bad because I just feel even more disconnected from my place as the player in this world or like any agency that I might have. Um, I, I don't, yeah. I, I, I don't feel like I have like a sense of, of even the, the getting to know the environment because I, I move so transiently through it. Like in, I, I get to know, th- and I, I don't know if this is just like a, a, a thing of the time, but at least in, in you know, comparing, not to compare it to Dragon Age, but at least I get to know like the wildlife around me or I get to know the sort of like plants around me or, or what their uses are and what I can, I can do things with them and things like that, um, which is much more RPG. Yeah. Um, but here, anything that I collect is just a 
a sellable. It's mm-hmm. just a product that I can I can then sell to just have money, which is money is the only thing that matters. And useless, basically. And and basically useless because a lot of the things that I would buy, like guns and whatever, I get through the missions. So I haven't bought one gun throughout the whole game. <laughs> I still have my starting pistol and I'm doing fine. I'm I'm yeah. at Mexico or whatever. And so that's what makes me feel so disconnected is that I feel like I really I could just be watching the, the whole movie. thing. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Well, I, that's, again, one of the systems that people added to the genre after the fact was you kill animals and do hunting so that you can get, you know, a better holster is like the Far Cry 3 innovation. It's like, oh, the reason you engage with those systems is to get different power growth, right? Whether that's skill points or something else. Danielle? Mm-hmm. Extremely small thing I'm charmed by, and it's super yeah. quick, but it all supports my very, uh, my favorite pet theory which is in any media and also in the actual real world, which I think is, uh, you know, it's one of those art, art mirrors life, art mirrors art things, mm-hmm. is that tough guys can only be uh, honest about their emotions when they're driving. And in this case, <laughs> it's tough guys can only be honest about their emotions when they're riding a horse. Because it's just like shifting the same like thing yeah. just down yeah. one sort of generation. I'm just a little charmed by that. That's, you know? That is a very funny bit. God. <laughs> um, Rob, you're shaking your head again. Yeah, I just, I want, like, I wanted to find something here. The thing that I missed that explained why this game was so beloved, but I just, I don't. I think this is such a weirdly constructed game. Like, John Marston is the very least supposed to be some kind of, like, enough of a badass that he's the one-man army you'd send to take down this gang. Mm Mm-hmm. And his master plan, he just sort of stumbles on, and it's never even really expressed what the big plan is, is an offhand comment from Nigel West Dickens. He's like, I've got an idea. I'll be your Odysseus. And, and basically, what this, what, you end up in this entire chain of quests, the, the classic like, chain of favors uh, plot construction, to create this like, plot to bust into uh, Fort Mercer. And, Trojan horse style. Yeah. And you know what? What it comes down to is Nigel West Dickens has a cart. That's it. Like that's his. Yeah. That's uh-huh. that's what it took. Is like, man, we need a guy with a fucking van. Like that's <laughs> it's it's like what if like what if like what if Heat was entirely like De Niro trying to find somebody who would rent him a van for like for the ice. I would. I would too. The difference is that version of Heat would still only be two and a half, three hours. <laughs> this is eight or whatever that we've played through so far, depending on whether or not you've done open world stuff, right? And I think that that has been, I mean, that is currently my note on Assassin's Creed uh, Odyssey also. It's like, oh, wow, I'm 25 hours in and yeah. getting quests that I think are kind of interesting. And like, fuck, like, why, is it only, why isn't it only that stuff? But Odyssey, like, Odyssey feels like David Lean next to this, honestly. <laughs> like, like, watching this, I'm like, oh, Odyssey, what a world. So teeming with life. Oh, what a, because because this does feel like so uh both heavy-handed and, and yet empty I, I i made a note yesterday of a line um it's one of those i think i think it was one of uh the horseback lines from marston he's, mm-hmm. he's riding around bonnie and he says you know even in this new country memories don't really fade and like that's that's as introspective as as this game gets, and those are the, those are the serious moments. Like Bonnie is like the real world plot, like where like yeah. there are at least people recognizably as humans, and then the other half of this game is going to be spent with these caricatures, um, Seth, 
who's just gross. Like he's an unpleasant character to be around. Um, and what value he contributes is entire like it's the most contrived fucking plot thing to put him in a position to be important to you. Um, yeah, what, what does he even do in that plan? He yells he, in the fort. Don't even remember. He like distracts he people he for has, twenty he seconds. He has nuts, right? That's it. That's his whole like. Yeah. He's uh-huh. he's your he's your decoy, uh, which again. <laughs> but no, he isn't because Nigel was Dickens is your decoy. <sighs> no, he's your Trojan anyway. Okay. Uh, but <laughs> and then the uh, and then if you try to go out in the world, the other thing I'll say is like the other thing that frustrates me here is there's this deep contempt for people that runs through this yes. through this game, mm. like the marshal you're supposed to like. But all the marshal does is like shit on the people he serves. Like he like the the first mission you go on, you take out those rustlers, and then people say like, "Oh, you know, Nigel West Dickens has gone missing," and he just sort of rolls his eyes and is like, "Boy, sure is great serving a community that cares about uh, the fate of a snake oil salesman." Uh, you know, he can't stand the people, the people he serves. The the people are represented, ordinary people are represented by people like Seth, like Irish. Uh, even uh-huh. your side quests, that cannibal mission, it's literally called American Appetites. That's the, oh, yeah. that's the, that, that again is the commentary we're being offered here. Is that, you know, you know, Americans, kind of their entire way of life is about like consuming and preying on each other. And that's and that's this game. Like at every corner you're being sort of like hit with this mallet. The the thing I think a thing maybe that we should be we haven't spoken to yet, but should is there is actually a great deal of writing in this game that does have a point and the point is that government will quote rob you then make uh then then make you pay to have someone investigate it. Right. Uh, it is uh, a, a kind of refrain from characters like Bonnie's father and the marshal that society will not save us and that, in fact, society is our own downfall, which is ironic, given that a game like Red Dead Redemption is only possible if you corral a bunch of people together to make them work late nights and make them work overtime oh. and to produce the the great, you know, eventually the, the rock star spouse. A letter that kind of tried to bring all of that stuff to light. But also, Rob, what does it say when the most sympathetic character in this game, the ordinary yeah. person, is Bonnie, who yep. owns like a fucking ranching compound. That's a small yeah. city. She's she's a feudal lord. She's not the middle class. She's <laughs> yeah, a god. Rob, listen, her family, quote, fought the Indians, tough men, which is like the weirdest little nod that is like, oh, this is how we wash our but hands tougher. from this. But we're tougher, goddammit. Uh, I mean, that is absolutely, you're absolutely right, right? Like, that is the, I, and I think there's something, again, there's a version of the game that gets remembered as being so strong because the contradiction between the the two best characters in the game at this point, or the, Bonnie as the best character, and then the sequences at which she pulls something out of John being, like, the strong ones, it's like, oh, here is this symbol of the Wild West, whose only real companionship is this this symbol of the future, a woman who is at the ho- at the at the top of industry in the West. Her farm has has its own train station for you know for for Christ's sake, right? Like there is something valuable or not valuable. There is something with potential in that matchup, but that matchup is not actually the focal point of the game. The focal point is Irish asking you to kill Welsh and Frenchy or whatever, right? The focal point is uh, the, stor- the you know, storming the, the fort and and killing 600 people on a single mission with a Gatling gun or whatever. And all that stuff is just 
whatever potential was there ends up being diffused because what Rockstar needed to make or decided they wanted to make was a shooting gallery and uh, a, a shooting gallery that, that took place in a fair filled with, like, stereotype theming. You know, it, it like... I cannot say enough bad things about Irish as a character whose entire character is he's drunk and unreliable and named Irish. That is the entirety of that character. I am so glad there is not a character named Blackie in this game because it would be the worst. I mean, it feels very uh, Westworldy in a sense. Mm. Like, and that's a show that, you know, went off the rails in season two. But like the, the world that is set up in... Uh, the season one, like, is one full of stereotypes and like paper thin cutouts to represent our, you know, I, I, you know, version of the West. And they've said that Westworld is a game, you know, deeply influenced by video games in all sorts of ways. And uh, I couldn't help but think about the, 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 you know, the world of Westworld that you encounter because it feels awfully like sometimes the world that you feel uh, you you're exploring in Red Dead Redemption. Yeah, totally. Um. We're getting a little long on the long on the tooth here, I'd say. We have another episode, which is good, right? So we have some time to, to wrap back around to some of this stuff. The last thing I do want to touch on is I still think – so in my mind – The I was raft. Like, you just want to talk about the raft well, for Fuck the raft. Minutes. The raft sucks. The raft it's is so – It's so long. It's so long. It's so long. And what's amazing is in my memory, it and the sequence that came after it were combined into a single beautiful moment. In my mind, I'm like, oh, I remember going to Mexico and that song plays. And you're on that raft, and you just, oh, it's beautiful. I'm like, no, it's not, actually. You go on the raft, and then you get a new type of gun. You get the sniper rifle, and you spend 15 minutes sniping, again, 200 dudes who can throw Molotov cocktails further than Tom Brady can throw a football, <laughs> by the way. I don't know. Have you seen his deep balls this season? Really can't, he really actually doesn't have much of a touch for it. <laughs> Neither do these guys, because mostly they go to throw them, and I shoot them, and then they explode. And the explanation um, is... Uh, Irish has warrants out for him in Mexico, and somehow, like, you, you want to talk about the fucking wall? Like, Mexico has some sort of uh-huh. border security where, like, Irish sets foot on the fucking river, and everyone's like, <laughs> "We need to get down there and like fucking waste this guy." Everybody, let's um, go. God, so you fight your way through all of that, and then finally you make it to Mexico, and you get on your horse, and then this this song starts playing. Uh, there's like non-diegetic, like this this. Uh, song by Jose Gonzalez called Far, Far Away that kind of marks the middle point of the game. Um, starts playing as you're riding across the, the Mexican desert towards the, the first town that you get to. Um, it is a, a – I still think that moment works, but what has completely changed for me is at the time, having come off of the shooting gallery that was the fort and everything else, I, I for whatever reason, I was like, wow, what a great way to cap off a, an amazing opening uh, to a game. Uh, and now I'm like, that was the most unearned bullshit in the world. And I think the thing that's changed is I spent so much time in 2010 playing this game, doing the bounties, going after the gang hideouts, you know, going up as far up as I could in the hunting challenges and the sharpshooter challenges, and just like throwing myself into the open world stuff. I knew that the northern half of that map backward and forward the first time I played that through this game. You know, and and this time I didn't do that not because I didn't have the time to. I I've I've been done up until this point for the last two weeks. I jumped onto this as soon as and quickly as I could, but I never felt compelled to try to raise my sharpshooter score. I never felt compelled to do the hunting challenges. And and partly I think that is just because it is no longer good enough to put them in front of me and say, ah, there is a sharpshooter challenge, do it. And that might be a judgment of me and my taste having been molded by uh, eight years of being 
you know, having having the endorphins fire in my brain. Because now when I do a sharpshooter challenge, I absolutely get skill points and can put those into a skill that will make my sharpshooting better so I can do the next sharpshooter challenge better. And that isn't good. I don't know that that is like a good design ethos. I, at the same time, I don't think that what's presented here is necessarily clean or, or um, uh, smooth enough to make me want to engage on it in, in even a better condition where my, my taste had not been remolded by the Far Cries and the the other open world action games of the world, right? Like I I I do think that something like Dragon's Dogma is unsurprisingly something that gives me what I like about liked then about the open world, the big openness, the emptiness, um, and even even uh, uh, the feeling of being like um, uh, a little bit small in a world that is too big for me. Um, that game does that in a way that does not rely on the same sort of injection of of uh, endorphins in my brain that something like Far Cry does, but still maintains the sense of loneliness. And so, like, I, it is it is not only on me that I that I did not do the side stuff here. Um, but then you get to Mexico, that song plays. You have this. For me, I, I did not bump into any cacti. I did not fall off any cliffs, <laughs> and did have a really great ride to the first town. Um, and met Landon Ricketts, who I think is maybe the only other good character in this game, um, who we will talk about next time uh, a little bit. But he's just an old West shootist. He's like a he's like a, a traveling, like sharpshooter gunslinger uh, in in like a circus show who does what Bonnie does and starts to pull some of who who John Marston is out of him. He also fixes someone who's kind of out there trying to do good. Yeah, um, at least a little bit, right? Um, and, yes, and yeah, and, again, all relative. Uh-huh, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, totally. And he fixes your dead eye, which is good. He fixes the the ability to, to use the dead eye the way I remembered using it, which is marking shots instead of just passing over it. Um, did that moment do anything for you all? The song in the desert for those who got there, or did it completely just fall flat? This was Rob and Patrick actually got. To well, that I'm curious right? because I already experienced that moment, right. and it fell flat in a way because one, it was I was re-experiencing it. Two, the, the finicky controls like just distracted me in yeah. a way that I was not. Uh, just completely pulled me out of it. But I'm more curious for Natalie and Danielle who did not play this game, where they they're, they can be our sort of litmus test. Like, <laughs> where where did it fall for the two of you? Yeah, I'll say that um, I watched the the video that you sent uh Austin and it was completely not what I was expecting in terms of the song and I think hmm. that further um kind of lends itself to this being a cinematic experience yeah. that 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 is the like kind of cinematic marker that is a little bit you know nudging to the modern and kind of supposed to speak to the player a little bit more than it's supposed to speak to um, the world itself. Uh, and so that was like super unexpected for me. And I, and I, and I loved the song and loved, like, I, I liked the, you know, the, the modern radio on my, on my, on my <laughs> horse or whatever. Like, I, I thought that was pretty neat. And I wonder if the, the new Red Dead will, also have like these like yeah. modern like moment song moments as like touchstones in the same way um but it definitely it definitely had a super different it it kind of told me to slow down um mm. that that to go through this space is to slow down hear the whole song out right. and just like enjoy or just like take it in um so i think that was maybe one of the strong just paying attention to that song made me pay attention to the world a little bit more um, because it was just so different from what I had been hearing. 
totally yeah i thought it was pretty cool i uh it had also been very built up in my head for sure eight years people talked about the road to mexico like it was like this mythical thing this beautiful thing that happens in this game and i think it is one of those moments that that kind of works and also i i almost got there but i did also watch this the video right props to natalie it's same thing it felt very (laughs) cinematic absolutely supports that sort of idea that you could get a lot of this game by watching it (laughs) certainly um but yeah it again I, i just keep coming back to the idea that there's there's moments that work for me in this game and there's there's a lot of sort of uh disconnect between them or among them i guess i should say uh but there are there are still those moments that keep me at least somewhat compelled to uh keep coming back to it Awesome. Well, I'm glad to hear that because we will be coming back to this in a couple of weeks uh, as we we take a look at the second half of the game. Um, I don't expect Rob Zachney, Red Dead hater, to finish this game by any means. But what I would love for for people to do if they're not going to finish it is to at least look at what the last few hours of the of what the game is uh because it does something really unexpected that i think a lot of people actually hated at the time and then it had a finale that people loved i love the entire or i loved at least the entire final act of this game uh if you give me two seconds i will find exactly the the missions i'm talking about for you to at least look up and and think through um have you have you re-experienced them no i'm super excited okay because that's i am i am you know the bits i'm I'm talking about with you right I, I, and what I, uh, yes, yes, yes. Like there, there, I don't want to say anything, but yeah. yes, I'm, I, what I'm curious about is given my pretty harsh reaction to, yeah. uh, the sunlight of playing this game, you know, <laughs> uh, eight years later or 10 years later, was this 2010 or 2008? Uh, 2010, 2010, 2010. Um, you know, what parts of that hold up, what parts of it yeah. don't is I am, I am motivated to play this game to the end because which is I'm not curious. normal for you which is not normal for you you don't replay things well i don't um but like i felt so strongly about this game at the time and usually when you go back and revisit something you're like ah you can kind of hem and haw and it's like uh you know i, I guess it, you know things have changed like games have gotten better about so many parts of it especially open world games uh but like i'm having such a negative yeah. reaction that i just need to see the whole thing through um because i just need to i need to see what holds up and what doesn't and I, I'm, I guess I'm hoping that the last act is as Same. interesting as it, as it was because it's I think what I remember of it it is still fascinating uh, um, in terms of what it attempts to do even relative to it because it's separate from you know mechanics and things yep. like that but I don't know maybe I'll be surprised and I'm going oh holy shit this is a lot of parts of this are garbage but I I don't we'll know see. so I'm it is curious. the mission beginning uh, the first mission of this set is one called the Outlaws Return. Um, it is, it is, uh, a, the one after the, uh, the prodigal son returns to Yale is the, is the mission before. So the, the only stuff that I need for people who aren't going to finish this game is just go over to like the fan wiki or to look up a, a, a let's play or something and watch from the, the outlaws return forward. Um, because there's some, some wild shit that, that plays out from that point forward. Um, or at least as I recall, we'll see, we'll see, you know? Nice. Um, all right, that's going to do it for us today. Uh, as always, if you have questions, send them into gaming at vice.com. There's some that I got in and didn't read because we'll, some of them are a little bit more specific to the second half of the game or to uh, a fuller experience of it at least. Um, but uh, but know that I'm reading them and doing my best to at least work them into the conversations we're having. Um, you can send that to gaming at vice.com. Where can people find you, Danielle? 
at Danielle R.I. How about you, Rob? At Rob Zachney. Patrick. At Patrick Hoffman. And Natalie. At Natalie Watson. Follow me on Twitter at Austin underscore Walker. You can follow everything Waypoint does. Twitter.com slash Waypoint. Facebook.com slash Waypoint Vice. And, of course, at Waypoint.Vice.com. Uh, shout out to Ricardo for, for doing the, the podcast production on this. You can follow Cotto at uh, 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 underscore Cotto underscore appears. And, God, what music are we using for this? Are we just using Bowen? I think we're probably just using Bowen for now. Uh, so shout out to Bowen for letting us use the track Miss You of the EP Pale Machine. Find out more about that at waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. Uh, as a reminder, playing through the end of the game and also checking out some Undead Nightmare uh, for the next episode of the podcast. I'm excited about that because I've not seen any of it. So look forward to that and look forward to hearing more from you in the future. Peace. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.